Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18, as we make our way through this book, only a few more chapters to go. And as I I believe I said last week, we will slow down towards the end and try to recap, review, help you kind of see the big picture one more time as we wrap up this cycle. But we will finish chapter 18 tonight, 18 verses 9 to 24. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all the wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints, and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sounds of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. 
For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and all who have been slain on the earth. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our glorious triune Lord, we give thanks for your incredible mercies, for sending your Son in our place to live and die for us, to raise from the dead and extend that mercy, that blood-bought mercy to us sinners. Father, we ask that in light of these mercies, you would help us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable in your sight. And Lord, we ask that you would keep us from conforming to the world by renewing our minds through your word and through the power of the Spirit for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was thinking about this passage and I was wondering, have, have you ever been in a, a moment in your life, have you ever had a situation in your life where you realized you had been deeply deceived? I'm not talking about a moment where you, you get to the place where somebody's tricked you or pulled the wool over your eyes or playing a practical joke. I'm talking about a moment in your life where you realize, you know, I am living a lie. I've chased after the wind. I'm like the fool in Luke 6 who builds his house on the sand. And if I don't repent, then I will be swept away in judgment. You ever had a moment like that in your life? I hope you have. I know it sounds weird for me to say that, but I think God brings those moments into our life many times in our lives to help us repent and to help us see how we need to wake up from our deception. I know I've had a few moments like that in my life, some profound moments, and one of the first ones I can remember was when I was in high school. Many of you know Joseph Bonura. He's a missionary we support. We prayed for a few weeks ago down at Radius. He's been a big blessing in my life for a long time. When I was in high school, he was discipling me and encouraging me, and I remember just hanging out with him after some event we did, and and he just started asking me, I think I was a junior, maybe a senior, hey, what are you going to do with your life? What's the future look like for you after high school? And I basically said, look, I want, I want to go to college. I want to get married. I want to get a good job. I don't necessarily need to be rich, but I want enough to have a nice place to live, to have a little leftover for some generosity. And then I, I remember these words exactly. And it's been 20 years probably since this happened. But I remember I summed all of that up by saying, basically, I just want to be comfortable. See, those words revealed what was really going on in my heart. I thought I was living for the Lord, but what I really wanted was that American dream. I was idolizing comfort and prosperity, and I had no clue. I didn't see it at all. Uh, Joseph didn't miss a thing. He looked at me, I remember him smiling, and he quoted Matthew 8.20. He said, foxes have holes. Birds of the heaven have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he said, brother, if you want to follow Jesus, you are not called to comfort. You were called to pick up your cross and follow him no matter where he leads. And at the moment, I was thinking, yeah, yeah, I know. I didn't really mean it. I didn't really want comfort that bad. But I could not get those words out of my mind. I could not stop thinking about the words that even came out of my mouth. 
I truly believed, I was deceived into believing that I could have comfort and Christ in this world. That I could just group those things together and live in harmony with this world. And I realized I had been deceived by the lies of Babylon, the lies of this world. Now, I think we probably don't want to admit it, but we are way more vulnerable to deception like this than we realize. We may truly want to honor Jesus with our lives, truly want to live for him, but our hearts are really good liars, and the person we lie to the best is ourselves. So how do we keep keep ourselves from this kind of deception? How do we protect ourselves from Babylon's lies? How do we make sure we're not deceived by her? How do we come out of Babylon as we've been commanded to last week? Remember in, in Revelation 18, 4, it says, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. That really is the command of this whole chapter. How do we obey that? How do we fight the deception of Babylon? Well, the simple answer is we sing the song of deliverance. We sing the song of salvation through judgment, which reminds us every single day that Babylon will fall. And all she offers is just deception. And Christ will come and deliver us from her forever. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in a section of Revelation that's a little shorter section on judgment. We started in 17 and we're going to 19. And this really, this whole section is focused on the fall of the city of man, the fall of Babylon. Jason introduced us to Babylon two weeks ago now in chapter 17. We learned that Babylon is this wicked prostitute, seductive prostitute that deceives the world with her lies. And she really represents any nation, any power, any authority that sets herself against the church. She really is the anti-church. But we found out some really good news. In chapter 17, we learn that she will fall. She will basically self-destruct one day in judgment. And then we learned in last week, 18 and now in 19, there are five songs. Five songs that follow her fall. That the world sings out. Last week we covered the song of destruction and the song of exhortation. And these two songs really help to see why, why we need to flee Babylon. And the answer should be obvious, I hope. It's going to be destroyed. And you will be destroyed along with her. Now we're going to talk about the next two songs, which really tell us how to flee Babylon. How we obey this command to get out of here, to avoid her. And so the two songs we're focusing on are the laments the laments of the deceived in verses 9 through 19, and then the song of deliverance. And I really want this to be clear up front. The question we need to ask ourselves tonight is, which song will we sing? The end of time, will we be among those in the world lamenting the fall of Babylon, the fall of our God? Or will we be the ones rejoicing because we've been delivered from her forever? That's what this text presents to us, two ways to live. And it's calling us to look to Christ and sing the song of deliverance. So let's look at the laments, the laments in verses 9 through 19. And let me say something before we read the verse. You probably noticed that this, this section, this lament is different than the last two songs we said. It's almost like it's three songs in one, right? There's a lament sung by the kings in verse 9. There's a lament sung by the merchants in verse 11, and then the shipmasters in verse 17. 
But really, here's the thing. It's really one lament. It's one lament in three verses. Just like our songs that we sing with multiple verses. And we know that because there's a common chorus. There's a common refrain. You probably actually heard it when we read through it. They get to a point where they all say, Alas, alas, the great city, Babylon. They're lamenting her fall. We see that in verse 10 and verse 16 and verse 19. Now, this probably won't surprise you then that even that lament comes right out of the Old Testament. And we don't have time to go read Ezekiel 26 to 28, three chapters in Ezekiel. Go and read it tonight. It's all the background for all these images. But these same three groups are right there. The kings, the merchants, the the shipmasters. But they really represent all of society. From the very top, the rulers, all the way down to the bottom, who benefited from Babylon and are spreading her lies all over the world. So let's look now at the first lament by the kings, starting in verse 9. And the kings are lamenting the loss of their security, in verses 9 and 10. And the kings of the earth, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Now, you might remember, we were introduced to these kings last week in verse 3. They were the ones who were drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. These essentially are the ones that are her lovers, the ones that have committed to the lifestyle of Babylon. And it looks, at first, like they actually loved her. Doesn't it look like they're responding like a good husband should? They're weeping and wailing because she is lost. We quickly find out that even their lament is complete selfishness. Look at verse 10. They will stand far off. Why? In fear of her torment. You see, they don't rush in to save Babylon like a good husband should. They're not going to risk their life for Babylon. Why? They don't really love her. They don't love her at all. They, in fact, love themselves. They were using her the whole time. And so as soon as trouble comes, as soon as judgment comes, what happens? They scatter. This is the way the world loves, isn't it? In so many ways. They love for their own ends. And that's what we see here. And they also run and pull back because they share in Babylon's guilt. They made Babylon's sins their sins. And so they deserve the same destruction as Babylon. You see, what we see pictured here in these verses is worldly sorrow, worldly guilt. You see, they don't don't mourn the devastation that Babylon brought, do they? They don't mourn how they dishonored God and how Babylon dishonored the Lord. Their mourning, their grief doesn't lead them to repentance. It doesn't lead them to their knees. It actually leads them to foolishly running from God. Think of how dumb that is, by the way foolishly running from the God who is everywhere. Assuming that you can outrun the judgment that just came upon Babylon. See, this is really a very sad picture of humanity. They're only mourning, they're only lamenting because of what they lost. And we see what they lost. Look at the middle, or the rest of verse 10. And say, and here's the chorus that I talked about. Alas! Alas, or better, I think, translated, woe, woe. It's this great lament, deep lament. You great city, you mighty city, Babylon. For in a single hour, your judgment has come. 
You see what they call Babylon? Great city, the mighty city. It tells us what they believed Babylon was. They thought Babylon was invincible. They thought Babylon would, would be around forever. Much like people thought in that day Rome would be around forever. Right? Or people think today that America would be around forever. They assumed that with Babylon, if they stayed with her, they would be safe and secure from anything else in this world. That was the place where they could find the security they desperately wanted. But then what happened? In one hour, one hour, Babylon's wiped out. Now, I don't think it'll actually take one hour. The Lord can do it in an instant. But the point there is it's such a short time. You would not expect a mighty, huge, glorious city to fall in an hour. And that's the point. They've lost all that they held dear in just an instant. These kings really are fools. They've been deceived into thinking that Babylon is their strength, their security, their hope. They've been deceived into thinking they could find greatness and might away from the only God who was great and the only God who was mighty. They thought they could find refuge from God apart from Christ. And says, this is the reality here. This is what we really need to come to terms with. We are just like these kings, aren't we? We are just as guilty. We have joined in Babylon's spiritual adultery, believed her lies, and given ourselves to her. We are guilty, like them. But then the question is, what will you do with your guilt? Does your guilt lead you to run to Jesus in faith? Does it lead you to your knees and to repentance? recognizing you need somebody to live for you, the life that you failed to live, to die in your place and to take your place on the cross, taking all the wrath of God that you deserved? And do you need the newness of life that Jesus offers in his resurrection? Does your grief and your sorrow lead you there? Or does it lead you to grieving because you got caught? Or grieving because you can't enjoy the world that you had any longer? Or maybe does your grief and your guilt lead you to run from God? To get as far away as you can from him, thinking that you can find security in this world. Brothers and sisters, do not be deceived like these kings. Only one kingdom cannot be shaken. Only one Savior, Jesus Christ, can cause us to be born again to a living hope. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. As 1 Peter 1 says. That is our only hope. It's not in the security of this world. Well, we've seen the lament of the kings. Let's look at the lament of the merchants. Now, lamenting the loss of prosperity this time in verses 11 through 17. Verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep. And mourn over her, just like the kings, right? Weeping and wailing over the loss of Babylon. But look why they weep. Since no one buys their cargo anymore. Why are they mourning? They're out of a job. (laughs) They don't get to sell all those valuable things that they thought were so important. You see, both the kings and the merchants didn't love Babylon. They loved themselves. They were using Babylon. Now, I, I granted, the, the merchants seemed to be using Babylon for a little bit different reason than the kings. The kings were using Babylon to indulge in the world, to enjoy the world, and find safety and security. The merchants seemed to be using Babylon almost as their meal ticket, 
They're kind of cash cow to get more and more and more. Almost, you might be able to illustrate it this way. We could see the kings like the drug addict enjoying the drug of Babylon, and you could see the merchants a bit more like the drug dealers. Now, I don't think we need to make too much of a distinction there. You know that the addict becomes the dealer most of the time, right? Because they're trying to feed their addiction in many ways. And I'm sure the merchants were enjoying the security that Babylon brought. But I need you to point out that they seem to really show in this text that the merchants were really after prosperity more than security here. That's their goal. And that's why they list this extravagant list of cargo. We read through it in verses 12 through 14. Not things that are needs. These aren't necessities. These are clothing and objects of luxury. A life of prosperity. That's what they're lamenting. They can't have this prosperous lifestyle anymore. And look at their lament. Go all the way to verse 16. And here's that chorus, that lament. Alas, alas, woe, woe for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. Now that sums up that whole list. But you know what else it sums up? The description of the prostitute we got in chapter 17. They're lamenting all the things that the prostitute offered. Then they say, for in a single hour, all this wealth, all this prosperity has been laid waste. Isn't this such a tragic picture? This is somebody who wasted their life. People who made prosperity and success and luxury their only goal in life. These these were the evangelists of Babylon. They were the ones going out there and to sell all that Babylon had to offer. And the world was just eating it up. All the idolatry and all the worldliness. And they actually believed that they could have the whole world and not forfeit their soul. They were actually deceived into thinking that, you know what? God is not my provider. Babylon. Babylon is the one I need. They're my provider. Brothers and sisters, I think this is one of the greatest temptations that we face on a daily basis. I know we're really concerned against bad doctrine. We guard against bad doctrine. We teach our kids truth, and that's good. We're really concerned about bad people, put alarms on our homes and passwords on everything. Really concerned about these things. And we guard against these things, and you should. Do we guard also against the idol of prosperity? Are you aware how easy it is for us to run to the world or run to ourselves as our provider and not to God? Or have you already been deceived into thinking that you're actually honoring the Lord, but you're still in love with the world? And really the easiest way to spot that deception is to check your motives. To ask yourself, why? Why do I do the things I do? Why do I work where I work? Adults, why do you live where you live? Do you live in the house you live because the ministry opportunities? Because the chances you have to reach out to your neighbors, to invest in the people around you and to disciple them and evangelize them? Do you live there so that you can have some freedom in your finances to go and give and bless and care for people? Or do you live where you live because of the resale value? Do you live where you live because it's a good financial decision that will set you up better for retirement? Do you live where you live because it's safe for your kids? Our missionaries don't get that choice. We think it's okay for us. Kids, you know what? We're not immune to this. You're not immune to this at all either. 
And kids, why do you go to school? Why do you study? Why do you spend time in school? Is it so that you can honor the Lord? So that you can understand the world he made? Is it so you can be discipled and grow in holiness and become more like God? Or is it to get the grade? Is it to get to college? Is it to get the job and get the lifestyle that you want? Look, we can go all day. We can ask this question, why, all day long. But my point is, we can tell ourselves all the time that Jesus is everything. Jesus is all that matters in my life. But then our lives can tell a completely different story. What really matters to me is security or prosperity or entertainment or comfort or worldliness, Babylon. That's the lie we can tell ourselves. And that's the lie these men were telling, telling themselves. Let's look at the last limit. We've seen the kings and the merchants. The shipmasters are really lamenting along with these other groups. They're lamenting the loss of their God, which is at the heart of both of these laments. Look at the rest of verse 17. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all those who trade, whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. It's the same response, isn't it? Back away, get away from Babylon. We were part of her sin. Now we need to scatter. And listen to what they say. What city was like the great city? I actually think a better translation there is who is like the great city. Do you recognize that language at all? We've seen that in Revelation chapter 13, verse 4. When the whole world, all those earth dwellers were worshiping the beast, what were they chanting? Who is like the beast? And great power and authority. Who can compete with the beast? Who is invincible like the beast? Which is really a parallel statement to what God's people say about him all the time, isn't it? Who is like our God? That's a constant refrain throughout the Psalms. This is how they're worshiping their God. Babylon has become their God. And so they bet it all on Babylon. And as soon as Babylon falls, their life is destroyed. And so, of course, they joined the laments of these kings and these merchants. Look at verse 19. And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned and cried out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. What are they lamenting there? The loss of prosperity. For in a single hour, she has been laid waste. And now they're lamenting the loss of their security. Same laments. Babylon, our great hope for peace and for security and prosperity in this world is gone. Now my big question I've been asking myself and I want to ask you as well is, why are these laments here? Why in a letter meant to encourage us, the church, written to these seven churches and to the church uh, universal in a way, why are these laments here? How do these help us persevere in faith? What's the point of having these? Well, I think first of all, this is a warning. Very clear warning. If you compromise, if you commit spiritual adultery with Babylon, you won't share in her prosperity. You won't share in the security that she's holding out to you. You will share in her destruction. That's the only hope you have when you give yourself to Babylon. And the second encouragement here is that this is a great encouragement because this is not our end. If we're in Christ, 
if we're trusting in Jesus, this is not our end. Deception and tragedy is not our end. Even if we lose everything, everything in this world, we will sing a different song at the end. We won't lament over what we lost. We will rejoice in what we've been delivered from. And that's what we see next, the song of deliverance. We've seen the laments of the deceived. Let's look at verse 20 with the song of deliverance. Verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. What a contrast this is, isn't it? Rejoice over her. Not run and hide. Not wail and weep and cover yourself with ashes like we saw everyone else doing. No, I want all of my people, in heaven by the way, and on earth, all of my people everywhere to rejoice in Babylon's fall. To praise God who brought them down. Does this seem a little strange to you? Would you consider it wrong to, say, rejoice at somebody's funeral? It's almost what this seems like. It's a funeral Babylon. It's almost as if they're dancing on Babylon's grave in a way. It kind of feels like that in some ways. Is that what's actually happening here? Well, no, I don't think so. And here's the reason why. Because really, what we're seeing here, why the people are commanded is for two reasons. One, because this is an answer to their prayer. This is exactly what God's people were asking for, for generation after generation. Look at the middle of verse 20. When it says for, here's the reason, right? Why are they commanded to rejoice? For God has given judgment for you against her. This is not just a display of God's righteousness. It's not just a display of God's glorious judgment on the world against Babylon. It is that. It's also judgment on your behalf. It's also judgment because God is for you. Answering those prayers for justice. We see that in verse 23. Skip down to verse 23. Actually right in the middle of verse 23 when it says, For again. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. I believe God is mocking them here. Oh, so great, mighty, and powerful. And this is why they say they're so great. All nations were deceived by your sorcery. The whole world was under their spell of greatness, but not God. Look at verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Whose blood is that? It's the blood of the church. The blood of the people that Babylon trampled to get to the top. The blood of the martyrs which have been crying out since Revelation six ten, saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? This is the answer to that prayer. This is God coming through. Babylon is finally getting what they deserve. And so God's people should rightly rejoice. This is exactly what they have coming to them. But this is not just a reason to rejoice because God answered their prayer. God's also giving them another reason. He's saying rejoice because this is the end of your temptation. This is the end of your struggle. This is the end of of Babylon's lies and her deception in this world. Look at verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great 
millstone. Remember, that's not just those teeny little pebbles. Those giant stones used to crush grain, thousands of pounds. So this mighty angel's taking this up and doing what? And threw it into the sea. What's this a picture of? This is a picture coming right out of Jeremiah 51 about the first Babylon. Jeremiah told his servant to go to Babylon and prophesy their judgment. And then to take the scroll and tie a rock to it, essentially, and throw it in the Euphrates River. And the picture there was, this is what's going to happen to you. You will be swept away in judgment, Babylon. And now we find out that's talking about the last Babylon. And the angel tells us that. Look at the rest of verse 21. Saying, so will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. See, this is a symbol of complete destruction. She will be consumed in judgment, never to rise again. There will be no trace of her at all. And we see that verse after verse after verse in this song of deliverance. Look at verse 22. The sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. See, those are the symbols of rejoicing, of gladness, saying there will be no more rejoicing in Babylon, no more celebrating the victories over the saints, no more celebrating what they could take from the world and use and manipulate in the world, no more celebrating the things that detest God, the sin and the idolatry that they celebrated, that we would have in our day parades for, right? No more celebrating these things. The rejoicing is done for Babylon. Look at the rest of verse 22. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. These are symbols of business, of industry. This is the symbol of what made Babylon great. Their prosperity and saying all that business, all that industry, all those lists of fine things, gone. All the things they peddled to the world to build up her lavish lifestyle, gone. And you know what? There will be no one left to rebuild her. No one left to bring her back. Which is such good news. We've been hearing in the mornings about the fall of Babel, haven't we? Babel falls. And then what do you have? You have Sodom and you have Rome. You have city after man, city after man, Babylon after Babylon. And this is evidence. This is the last Babylon. No more Babylon after this. She will never be rebuilt. Verse 23. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. These are symbols of home life and new beginnings of families developing in a future. And what do we see here? No new families, no children, no carrying on the family name. Babel sought to make a name for themselves, didn't they? And God destroyed them. And now we see God destroying the means for them to continue on their name. Wiping them out forever with no way to recover. I hope you can see what God is doing here. God is removing the gifts that they twisted. The gifts that they took and used for their own ends, their own glory, and didn't acknowledge God. Which we've seen is the sin of Babel, haven't we? God is removing those gifts, and he's making sure that Babylon can never misuse those again. 
Babylon will never come back and dishonor the Lord again. I hope you noticed as we read through that this song has a chorus too. There's a refrain in this song as well, isn't there? The last song was, whoa, whoa, the great city. But this song's refrain is, these things will be heard in you no more. Now this is the strongest way you can say no in Greek. It's a double negative in a way. And I think a good translation would be, these things will be found in you no more at all. Ever again. They're not coming back. God is telling us, those people labeling to struggle under Babylon's temptation, Babylon will be gone completely. There will be no trace of Babylon in you or in this world ever again. No trace of Babylon anymore at all. Doesn't that make you want to rejoice? Doesn't that bring you to knees in worship that we will have final deliverance? It's not dancing on their grave. It's my people come out of Egypt, come out of slavery, come home. That's what God is doing. He's delivering us through this. We need to rejoice. And in the meantime, we sing, we sing the songs of deliverance like we'll sing later tonight. When we sing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. What do we do on that day? Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That's our hope. Let's pray he would come soon. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this great encouragement that you will bring justice one day that this world and the wickedness in this world will not last forever, and that you will set everything right and free your people from the struggle of sin, the struggle of temptation, and the lies of Babylon. Father, protect us. Help us fight deception with truth. Help us to look to your Son in hope. Help us to sing and to rejoice together the songs of your church that help us delight in your coming Son. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come soon and deliver us completely and finally. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.